This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. I'm Professor Richard Gershon from the University of Mississippi School of Law, host of In Legal Terms. If you're enjoying this podcast, I encourage you to listen to In Legal Terms, the show about you and your rights. We find interesting legal topics to bring to you and let you know how the law affects you. Find In Legal Terms on any podcasting platform on your smart device or on our website, inlegalterms.mpbonline.org. From MPB Think Radio, this is Money Talks. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Nancy Lotridge-Anderson, president of New Perspectives, and Ryder Taft, portfolio manager at New Perspectives. They're both chartered financial analysts. Ryder holds the Certificate in Investment Performance Measurement from the CFA Institute. Happy New Year and welcome to 2023. We're going to talk today about information you might need for the new year. Learn about new tax amounts, ways to save money, ways to get back lost money, and ways to win money. Our experts can also take your questions concerning personal finance that you've been thinking about recently. You can contact us by email. Our address is money at mpbonline.org. Hello and Happy New Year to you both. Nancy, what's on your mind financially speaking as we begin the new year? Well, a couple of things I've been watching, Kevin. Uh, The first is more announcements of layoffs. And, of course, we heard in the news about rising credit card debt. The concern is that you're going to get caught with a loss in a job and a loss of your income, and then that affects how you can pay back that debt. So be very careful. Um, Certainly the tech layoffs, not that big of a deal just because – you know, they're able to then find new employment very quickly, but it makes sense. So a lot of these tech companies like Amazon really geared up a lot, and then um, they're easing back because of, you know, we're not spending as much online. Uh, but we're starting to hear about banks laying off as well, and that's a little concerning, so be careful about that. The other thing I'm watching is the new announcements about student loans. And we had the Biden administration trying to do student loan forgiveness. That's been held up in the courts, but now uh, we're starting to hear about a new income-based repayment plan. All right, very good. Uh, Ryder, what's uh, caught your eye over the holidays? Well, speaking of ways you can win money, I was looking at the Mega Millions. It's over a billion dollars. I guess they might start calling it the Mega Billions now because these uh, jackpots have gotten bigger lately. Uh, More larger jackpots, more fun to play. Uh, If you do play, it's only $2, but your odds are only 1 in 302,575,350 of winning the jackpot. And of course, you're always running the risk that you might have to split it with somebody. So uh, I guess that's what we had in mind when we were talking about ways to win some money in 2020. 23, starting off with a bang. Well, no, uh, Ryder popped my balloon as we were <clears throat> waiting to come on the air. I he thought, was going to buy all of the tickets. <clears throat> That's right. Kevin was going to oh, buy no. all, he, he, he wanted to buy all the tickets, which you could do if well, you want. But you know, I, I thought just buy a ticket with every possible combination, but then I realized that the people who do the lottery are a little bit smarter than I am, and they there there are probably trillions of possible uh, number combinations. So that, that well, it's three hundred and two million five hundred and seventy five. 350. So to buy all of those, you would have to buy a $2 ticket for each of those. So right. it would only be $600 million, Kevin, <laughs> uh, which I know your 
the the charity we started for the uh, for the radio announcers fund. I mean, I'm That's sure right. it's got the money in there. <laughs> um, I, I I don't know anything about nonprofit laws. Let's not let's not get too serious there. But um, but the the risk is of course that you 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 spend your six hundred million on all of your tickets, and then somebody else only spent two dollars and also got a ticket. You got to split the pot with them, and you only get five hundred million, and then you have to pay taxes on that. And I don't think you're going to be able to write off all those tickets you bought. Gosh. Well, it was a good idea. Uh, <clears throat> Wait till it's a little higher. Uh, Nancy, a follow-up on one of the things that you mentioned, and maybe, Ryder, you can weigh on this with your thoughts as well. Uh, why do you think Americans are carrying more credit card debt? The, the uh, NPR newscast we heard said it was the debt was right. at an all-time high. I, I just think that's what we do as human beings. Yeah. Uh, we we spend what we make, and when we feel confident about our jobs, and we've had a very tight labor market, and people have gotten raises, then we just stretch out a little bit on our debt. And sometimes we get caught with that, and that's my caution. That's been what I've been saying for mm-hmm. quite a while now: is to be very careful. Make sure you have a good emergency savings mm-hmm. uh, fund that can cover any kind of gap in income you might have. And and that's a good point. We've we've mentioned this a couple of times. I don't have the all the credit cards and the savings numbers in front of me right now. But during the twenty twenty, there was a lot of stimulus money. People paid down their credit cards a ton. So people, it's kind of sometimes a little frightening to look at. Oh my gosh, how much it has risen in the last two years. But it's really just gotten back to last time we talked about it. It was kind of it was back to trend. Maybe it was a little bit more. Maybe it was a little bit less. But it was kind of back to where you would expect for the growth of incomes and economy, et cetera. Part of our, but, part of our spending but, is going to be on credit cards. But Nancy has a but. Yeah, and that but is that is happening with rising interest rates. And so remember, mm-hmm. those credit cards have variable interest rates. They can change those basically any time. Yeah. And so what was about 15 or 16% average you know, just a short time ago is now sitting about 19% average on those credit cards. That's a lot of interest to cover. Yeah, and, and two other points. One, you, you did mention about savings. We still we don't have as much savings because obviously we've spent some and we've put some on our credit cards. Uh, but also, one of the things about rising interest rates and credit cards, it's really dramatic when the short-term interest rate goes from zero to 4% or, or whatever. It's a little less dramatic when it goes from when your credit card goes from 15 to 19. It's still really bad. You still shouldn't be carrying a credit card exactly. balance. Yeah. And so for a lot of people who are carrying a balance, it's it's worse, but it's not it's not so dramatically worse as zero to four. It's it's, it's it's 15 to 19, which it's bad. Um, how frequently can those adjustable rate uh, uh, cards change their uh, interest rates? All the time. Gosh, yeah. All the time, just whenever I, they I want. Think, yeah, I think they do have to notify you. Um, but, you know, they, they do that with a statement. They may notify you on the interim. Um, it's a contract. So this is a mm-hmm. debt contract. And when you sign that credit card application, you agree to their terms. Um, and it's based on the prime interest rate plus something, I think. Isn't that the way it's usually that done? That is often how it's done. And the prime rate is just it's it can change daily. Um, oh, uh, OK. Uh, we're going to be talking about some uh, new numbers. Oh, I know what I was going to say. The importance of an emergency fund uh, really came in to, for important. me this uh, holiday season. You know, we had those brutally cold temperatures. And so. Mm. 
I uh, made sure that all the uh, faucets were dripping except for the one little faucet outside on the hose, which I forgot. And also I wrapped it up in a towel thinking I was insulating uh, the thing, but I think what happened was <laughs> that that towel didn't stand up to the what was it three or four days no. of well, below freezing, <laughs> and that was a thing. It was near the end of it. I thought mm-hmm. I've made it through. I don't have any leaks or anything. But I think the towel got moist, and as it froze, oh, no. the towel became heavier. So basically, the the spigot snapped off of there because I came home after visiting friends on Christmas Eve. And my neighbor had left me a note that said, hey, you've got a major leak going on in your backyard, and it's flooding my backyard. So fortunately, I knew where the water main was, so I shut off my water main. Uh, Long story short, I was able to actually repair on my own uh, that water pipe, and so I thought I was out of the woods. Well, then I went to do the laundry, and as I turned on the cold water that feeds the washing machine, water started spewing around everywhere. So I ended up having to replace uh, that. So that was uh, one of my emergency fund nightmares. And the other one was my car, uh, an older car, had begun to misfire. And so I needed to get some work done there. Uh, and that was another kind of large bill. So I, uh, I, I didn't deplete my entire emergency fund, but it did take a hit. But again, I think I'd like to underscore the importance of having one because it certainly comes in handy. What I try to do is pay about half of it off with my emergency fund, knowing that I can probably work it into my monthly budget uh, to pay off the other half. But again, uh, I strongly recommend socking away money each month for those uh, uh, emergencies. And, I'd and like- when, you, when you do have a decline in your emergency savings fund, now it's time to just um, gear back up and build it back up. Don't worry about it. You used it for what it was the purpose was. I'd like to point out uh, two other things in that story that Kevin talked about that we that have come up, especially in these kind of weird weather events, things that you can rely on to help you through hard times. One, your relationship with your neighbor. Your neighbor reached out to you and told you probably sooner than you would have noticed on your own that you had a problem. So that's, that's a pretty bare minimum from a neighbor, but relying on neighbors, sometimes that can be just a, a great help and a great financial help probably in your case. Save some money on your water bill. Uh, two, your own skills at being able to replace some of that piping. It, it, you didn't just have to call a plumber and wait for a plumber to come. Um, so those sort of things play in as well. Those relationships that we have, those skills that we've have, we've talked about those before uh, as, as other things that can help us in those really weird and disastrous times. Well, and I'll say this, the, it was a very simple fix, and, and but and I always have had people that I know that are better at it than I am. My brother's better at home repair. Jason Klein, who works here, who hosts our Fix It 101 show, he's always been a help to me as well. Um, but I finally learned that instead of when someone comes to help you, instead of sort of just watching them do that, you need to start maybe doing the very basic stuff. So, again, it's very modest, but I was able to saw off the uh, the PVC pipe and uh, with a hacksaw, and so I did part, part of it. So I felt very accomplished about uh, helping out of that situation. But, again, uh, and, again, you're right, Ryder. Had I not uh, gotten the message from my neighbor, that would have gone on all night, and God, God knows what would have happened then. So uh, some good points there. If you have a question for our experts, send an email to money at mpbonline.org. We're talking about news for you in 2023. And did you hear the stamp price of stamps is going up? We'll learn more next on MPB Think Radio. You're listening to Money Talks. Our website, moneytalks.mpbonline.org, is one way to hear past broadcasts. You can also download the MPB Public Media app and listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. 
Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Nancy Lotridge-Anderson, president of New Perspectives, and Ryder Taft, portfolio manager at New Perspectives. The United States Postal Service filed notice of mailing services price changes to take effect January 22nd of this year. The new rates include a three-cent increase in the price of a first-class mail forever stamp. It goes from 60 cents to 63 cents. Uh, but as Ryder and I were discussing, they don't lie when they say forever because I have some of those stamps that I bought probably five years ago, and mm. every time I mail something, it works. People always ask us about what can you buy that's going to um, you know, adjust for inflation, and uh, stamps, you know, 63 cents at a time, it's a great way to protect your, protect your future mailings from inflation. Uh, we've got some numbers that we want to share with you, but first we do have a couple of callers on the line, so let's go to the phone lines first, beginning in Pascagoula with John. John, thanks for calling us. Go ahead, please. Yeah, I was wondering, I've got a question about the IRS. I, I filed my taxes in 2022 uh, for 2021, and I still haven't gotten it back. I'm just kind of wondering if there's anything I can do about that. Uh, that is interesting. That's a very long time to be waiting for a refund or any communication about your tax return. Uh, the IRS.gov website does have uh, a track my refund tool. Um, so you can look on there. You can uh, you plug in your information. It verifies who you are, and you can see if you are indeed do a refund, see where they are in the process. You can also, uh, if you have an account on the website, I believe you can request kind of status and transcripts of your tax, which may help some. Uh, one of the issues may be if they were, I don't know if, if, if you selected to have a check mailed or sometimes they have a, a prepaid debit card, which they will put a refund on um, or if it was going to be sent directly to your bank account, if there was a, a trouble processing that, that could have, of course, caused some delays. Again, the amount of time you've waited is a very long time. Um, another check, if you used a tax preparer, a CPA or one of the uh, just tax preparation uh, websites or tax preparation stores in person, they may also have some insight there. I, I will say there have been some cases in the past where refunds have been routed especially if you use a tax preparation service, those refunds are routed through the that company's bank account, so it's actually them giving you the refund, so that could be a potential issue. There's just a lot of different factors depending on how you filed your taxes that could lead to that delay. We love to hate on the IRS, but, you know, um, um, it, it gets frustrating when they can't process things uh, in a timely manner, and that's what we're seeing right now. All right, uh, John, thanks for the call. Um, here's a question. Yeah. When, uh, when we're late, the IRS charges interest and penalties and that sort of thing. So does it work the other way around? Would uh, John possibly get more money back from the IRS if it somehow turns out that it was they that delayed the thing? Uh, I think that I was reading about this recently and because somebody was proposed a strategy where they pay, overpaid their taxes early to get that interest rate and everybody quickly debunked that. However, I think there is maybe some small interest on uh, if, if there is a mistake on their part, but I think it's if they – failed to pay it at all. So it could be that they have been attempting to pay. We don't know exactly what 
it looks like from the IRS standpoint, uh, it could be that he maybe he was not actually owed any refund. You know, maybe they made some adjustments. If they made adjustments, they would have sent you some mail. Uh, so it's very important that you you make sure you are getting that mail uh, at the location um, that you was your address when you filed. So that's where they will send their communications. Uh, the IRS does not call you. They do not just pop you an email about these things. Uh, they send you a letter, and it always looks very serious. All right, John, thanks for the call. IRS.gov might be a good place to start and see what you can uh, find some information there, but uh, hope that your success in, uh, in trying to f- track that problem down. Let's uh, stay on the phone lines next. It's our favorite listener from South America. Robbie's called in from Peru. Good morning, Robbie. Go ahead, please. Thank you. Um, I've been in Peru for two years, and the exchange rate is 3.80 to one U.S. dollar today. I recently took a trip to Bogota, Colombia, and I exchanged 140 U.S. and I received 638,400 pesos. Who sets the exchange or the value of a country's money, and how does an economy work when the exchange rate is so great? Oh, wow. These are really big questions. Uh, The market (laughs) sets the exchange rate. Ultimately, it's demand for a currency's uh, a, a country's currency. Um, that's going to be the really, uh, really super high level cop out answer that I'm before I hand it over to uh, Professor Nancy. Mm, oh, okay. boy, thank you. Thank you for that. Uh, but he's right. It's it's the demand for dollars and dollars are. Um, a prime currency. They're always in demand. Our economy has been strong, which means our dollar is strong. And any exchange rate is relative to another currency. And so if the currency you're, you're exchanging to has been a weaker economy and the dollar is strong, then that's going to be the difference there. And, um, and so it, it does fluctuate. Uh, there's nobody really setting it. It is the overall market. Um, it depends on the goods that are being manufactured and produced in that country and if they're demanded in another country and you have to have an exchange of currency for that to happen. Um, but as long as the U.S. economy is strong and doing well and the dollar is strong, then um, that affects the exchange rate of every other uh, country's currency. Yeah. That is, that is a short answer. Yeah. And a, a little bit of the dynamic that's been happening recently, the, the dollar was uh, kind of, if you look back at the past year, kind of peaked about three months ago. It has declined a little bit, but it's not, it's not like a serious decline. If, if you're buying, uh, using your U.S. dollars to buy things in a foreign country three months ago, it would have gone a little bit further than it is going today. And so that might be the dynamic you're experiencing. And of course, when you're traveling abroad, you're going to get rates from essentially whoever you're working with. If you're withdrawing from a bank's ATM, you are getting that bank's rate. They may have some charges on top of that, but at the most base level, it's whatever – that bank is probably doing a little bit of foreign currency transactions every day anyway. It's whatever rate that they're doing those transactions at. If you're going to – a storefront exchange place, they might offer you a different rate. Um, I'm not sure if uh, Colombia and Peru are uh, countries that where this is the case, but sometimes you can get a better rate at these storefronts. Uh, they call it a gray market exchange, and sometimes you get a and sometimes you get a better exchange at the ATM. Generally, I expect. Um, 
developed Europe, uh, uh, Western Europe to have better rates at the ATM. A lot of other countries, you might get a better rate actually exchanging cash American dollars for cash whatever currency just because the demand for the actual physical currency is actually particularly high in some countries. So there's all sorts of dynamics to where you go. And you need to watch those uh, credit cards because they're often um, have some exchange system set up and some cards are better than others on those fees because, as Ryder mentioned, you're always going to have some haircuts, some fees taken out when you do that exchange. So whatever rate you see quoted out there, it's not going to be exactly that because of all those fees. We've talked recently about um, the dollar being close to parity for the euro, meaning it's almost been one dollar for one euro, which is an indication of how strong the dollar has been again. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Okay. Well, thank you so much. Thanks, Robbie, for your call. You know, that would need to be a challenge for an American going to another country where there's that sort of exchange. I mean, how do you – when a mm-hmm. loaf of bread is 600000 whatever, is, mm-hmm. I mean, that must be difficult to try to figure out, you know, what, what the value that's, is or whatever. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's what we call unit of account. And uh, a unit of account is another way that we say this is an actual currency, this is actual money, where you have some notion of this is what I can buy, what this is the value of this particular amount of currency. Mm -hmm. And that's always what trips us up when we travel overseas in a different currency. You know, we just we have no clue what the value is versus when we go into our own stores and we immediately click in with dollars and we know what that means. Well, and, and another interesting dynamic, so even if you do have a very good idea of what the exchange rate is, say you just know, oh, every exchange, every number I see, I just add a zero to the end or take a zero off or what have you. It could be that all different goods are just totally different prices. You know, a loaf of bread may be you know, exactly a, a good one-for-one exchange. Great. I, I just add a zero on the end. I know that's the price of a loaf of bread. That's a totally fair price. But then maybe some uh, your hotel room is just a totally different price. And that's just because the dynamics of the local market, especially when you're talking about a uh, market as disconnected uh, from the U.S. as, as Peru or Colombia, uh, especially when you're getting outside of the major cities, it's just totally different markets. So that's just another wrench in your system is not only do you have the exchange rate to deal with, you've got the local relative value of everything to deal with. We're sharing some numbers for 2023 you might need to know today. Ryder, let's get started. Uh, saving for retirement. How much could we sock away? But uh, just uh, we don't really suggest a sock as your method for saving, though. No, we suggest one of the many IRS-approved socks with numbers like 401k or 403b or IRA. Well, those aren't numbers; those are letters. Uh, so all of those have uh, increased, and, and and inflation was 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 fairly large last year. These numbers they don't increase perfectly with inflation. They kind of pick a nice round number that's bigger. So uh, most defined contribution plans, 401ks, 403bs, SEP IRAs, uh, even your things like Mississippi Deferred Compensation, which is a 457, those have gone from an absolute from a maximum contribution that is employee and employer contributions of sixty one thousand. They're gone up to sixty six thousand. So that's a little less than that ten percent inflation. Um, the employee. De- uh, deferral has gone from 20500 to 22500 
But uh, Nancy would like me to remind you that if you are over 50, you do get a catch-up. That catch-up is 7500 this year, and that's up from 6500 And I just want to add some info on the catch-up because that the Secure Act 2.0 has, incre- uh, has plans to increase the catch-up even more. Uh, next year, it's going to be a little more index to inflation. They have been raising the catch-up amount, so I'm not sure if it's going to be a precise index or if it's just going to be the same but maybe a little more uh, legal. I don't know. And then and then in 2025, there's going to be additional catch-up numbers. So uh, if, if you wanted this list of numbers to be longer and more confusing, you are getting your wish starting in 2025. I just can't wait for that January 2025 retirement numbers episode. We're going to be here for hours. Um, of course, if you don't have an employer plan, you can also do an IRA on your own. Your contribution limit is going to be six thousand five hundred with a catch up of a thousand dollars. That catch up is the same on IRAs. Uh, the contribution limits up five hundred dollars. Uh, if you have a small employer who has a simple IRA plan, uh, which is a great way for employers under a hundred people to have a low cost but very effective savings plan for their employees. That limit has gone from fourteen hundred to fifteen five hundred, uh, fifteen thousand five hundred dollars, with a catch up of three thousand five hundred again for those over fifty, and that catch up has also increased five hundred dollars. And most people never even get close to the maximum contribution that they can do. So why and, am I reading well, these numbers off, Nancy? Yeah, I mean, really, what is this for? I, this should be your goal. This should be your goal, mm-hmm. but. Um, most people, when we talk to them and we say, what are you contributing to your employer plan? And they will say, oh, I'm doing the maximum. Mm-hmm. And what they mean is the maximum match. And the the numbers that Ryder just quoted show you that you can do a whole lot more than that. So we always tell people, put as much as you can to, until it pinches just a little bit and work your way up if you get a mm-hmm. raise. Let's, for instance, last year, a lot of people got big raises because of inflation. Mm-hmm. Let's say you got an 8% raise because that's what inflation was last year. Put 4% more into your employer plan and 4% more in your pocket, and you will gradually work your way up to these numbers. I think that is an excellent point. We do hear that all the time. Oh, I'm contributing the max. Oh, this I've maxed out my plan, and that's just not that we look, and there's only a couple thousand dollars in there. Uh, these maximums are goals. That is a good point. Uh, for higher-income folks, uh, these maximums should be attainable. Um, think about, again, saving a large percentage of your income and, and raising that percentage a little bit every year. We're talking about information you might need to know as we begin 2023. How were your holidays over the last few weeks? Did you fly Southwest? If so, we've got some information for you coming up. Money Talks is MPB Think Radio's personal finance broadcast. Good morning. I'm Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Nancy Lotridge-Anderson, president of New Perspectives, and Ryder Taft, portfolio manager at New Perspectives. They're both chartered financial analysts, and Ryder holds the Certificate in Investment Performance Measurement from the CFA Institute. The weather and other operational delays and cancellations that occurred at the end of December at the beginning of January show the importance of knowing your rights and keeping receipts. Southwest Airlines has a website where you can make claims due to flight cancellations. We've got a link to their website and also the U.S. Department of Transportation's website where you can learn more about your customer rights. So we are talking about some numbers that you need to know in 2023. Got some phone calls on the line, but Nancy, one other set of numbers that we did want to make sure we got out before the show ended, and that relates to taxes. So what are some tax numbers we might want to keep in mind as the year begins? 
Well, our standard deductions are higher. And why is that important? Because that will affect your tax rate. And we had a big increase in the standard deduction with our last tax reform bill, but those gradually go up. So now this year, if you're married filing jointly, the standard deduction is 27700 If you're over 65, each person gets an extra 1500 added to that. So that reduces your taxable income and can also affect um, how you approach donations. Um, also makes a difference in your record keeping. Uh, those are all very important, dealing with those standard deductions. All right. Um, what are some of the other numbers? I see uh, the standard deduction for singles has gone up, I think, maybe to 13850 Do you know some more of the numbers? Right. And, yes. Uh, head of household is 20800 um, so those are all pluses. The other thing is on capital gains. And um, so we know we have a preferential tax treatment. That means that your earned income is going to be taxed at a higher rate than your investment income. So the tax on long-term capital gains, that is adjusted a little bit for um, a um, – if we have married filing jointly, you can earn up to $89,250 and pay 0% on your long-term capital gains. If you're single, that number is $44,625, as well as the gift tax exclusion. And that's the amount you can give away each year without any tax implication, and that is $17,000 per person. And so we have a lot of people that we work with who are trying to give to maybe grown children, going ahead and giving them funds now versus waiting uh, for them to inherit that. And so we use that approach. And when Kevin wins the Mega Millions, then he can give (laughs) us all $17,000. And if you call in today, you can also participate in that. I will say that if I win the Mega Millions, I will do that. Fantastic. Good. Heard it on the you. air. That's on right. Day. You heard, on you heard here for y'all. So start calling in, folks. Start calling in. Get your name on the list. <laughs> Let's go back to the phone lines. Uh, we'll start with in Jackson. Mike has called in with a question. Good morning, Mike. You're on the air with us, so go ahead. Good morning. Thanks for taking my call. My question is um, um, I'm retired. I have just retirement income, Social Security, and uh, investment money. Can I take money from a regular IRA and roll it over into a Roth IRA? with no earned income. Yes. There's yes, yes it's yes called a Roth conversion. Yes. So a Roth conversion doesn't require that you have uh, earned income. A contribution to a Roth or a traditional means you have to have earned income. Mm-hmm. But the conversion can happen anytime mm-hmm. and we've been using that strategy. The assumption is that we're we're going to have higher taxes in the future. Also there's a huge advantage in passing on to your heirs. Mm-hmm. Yep. So okay. uh, you, you do want to consider it doesn't sound like your income is going to be extremely high, given that it's uh, some investment income and, and Social Security. I'm make, kind of making some assumptions here. So you're probably in a reasonably low tax bracket. And if that money in the IRA, one, if it's not money that you really need, uh, then you can put in that Roth and never pay taxes on it ever again. And also leave it to your children or to whoever you want, totally tax free. That's a huge gift to them because it can grow so much uh, in the time that you have. Uh, so that's that's an important consideration is kind of where your income level is now, uh, what tax rate you're paying now uh, versus what you expect to pay in the future, which Nancy said uh, tax rates are probably going up What with the expiration of some of the uh, levels in the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act. 
And there's no limit to the amount that you can convert. Uh, for a lot of people we work with, we're using a strategy of partial conversions to see because the amount you convert is the amount that's added to your income, and you've got to pay tax on it. So you need to have a plan. So the $7,000 limit doesn't apply? Nope. No, it does not. No. Oh. Oh, wow. Oh, great. Thank you very yeah, much. Yeah, so there were there used to be a lot of rules around it that they they got rid of uh, maybe about a decade ago. Uh, there's uh, some de- it can be hard to find. Re- that's a really specific thing, and it can be very difficult to find information that's going to be very applicable to your situation without sitting down with somebody who can actually go over your numbers with you and kind of show you what those look like. Um, that's a that's a situation that really benefits from uh, some expert knowledge there. Um, but yes, those rules have changed a lot uh, about a decade or so ago. All right, Micah. Okay. Great, thank you. Thanks, Mike, for calling in this morning. Let's stay on the phone lines. We're off to Olive Branch. Bill has called in today. Good morning, Bill. It's your turn. Go ahead. Yes, sir. Uh, I'm calling about the uh, deal where you're spending money in another country. Right. And uh, my rule of thumb with that, and it seems to work pretty good, is, uh, number one, don't worry about the the exchange rate. Just ask your... uh, uh, interpreter that you have available to you, what's the best place to get your money changed over? And number two, uh, when you go to spend the money, most places have got a big number and then some small, a uh, couple of small numbers beside it. And that's the, uh, uh, I, I just, all I do is look at that as dollars and cents. Uh, when I'm spending it, I'd spend it just like I would in the United States. And I add $100 per week that I'm going to be gone uh, to my uh, money stash. Uh, and uh, I, uh, I spend the money just like I would in the States. Don't think about the exchange while I'm out there spending it. And just follow the big numbers, small numbers rule, uh, dollars and cents. And it works out great. Uh, people freaked out because they couldn't figure out how I was uh, uh, converting the money so easily on, uh, when I was out there buying. I was just buying, having a good old time, and I still came home with money. And that's uh, when I'm doing uh, missionary work all the time. I, I love this, Bill. He's uh, living a little more in the moment than uh, than clearly some of us are when we're traveling abroad, and he's enjoying his time there. And uh, a, a very simple way of thinking about money when you're abroad. I love that. All right, Bill, thanks for the call. Let's uh, stay on the phone lines. Madison is our destination next. It's Fletch on the line. Your turn, Fletch. Go ahead. Hey, good morning. Uh, Yes, I wanted to uh, share in Kevin's winnings, so I guess I have to officially ask a question. So what's the value of a U.S. dollar? One dollar. It's worth actually Uh, a hundred cents. Four four quarters. I'll I'll give a penny. (laughs) No, I guess, I guess officially one, one question. If you're looking to refi, what's, isn't there like a kind of a little magic formula if you're going to refi a mortgage as to how long maybe you need to stay there to kind of uh, recoup the cost? It's usually about five years, but um, and often we think about refinancing. You used to hear the rule of thumb of you need to drop your rate by about 2%. I tell people to actually do the math and look at the dollar difference. You, mm-hmm. Yes, you have to consider the cost of, of a refinance, 
What is it going to take to get that done? There's some out-of-pocket expenses that often will be added to the total loan. So you're adding to the cost of your home at that point. And then look at the dollar difference every month. And is it really significant enough for you to go through that? And um, I think for a lot of people right now, what we're looking at is even considering adjustable rate mortgages because the rates have been high. And we think we're probably going to see some lower rates, but it's going to be a while before we see those. So that's a possibility. Um, but again, just do the math. Look at the actual dollars that you're going to be adding to your loan and the dollars uh, increase or decrease in the payment. I think that's a that's a good point. And, and while there are good rules of thumb out there, one, like Nancy said, actually do the calculations and see if it makes sense for you. And two, uh, paying less interest or lowering your monthly payment, these are not the only reasons people do refinances. So uh, you can't kind of judge anyone else's situation or anyone else's refinance uh, on your situation. Um, yes, lowering interest rates is great. Uh, and if it's a dramatic re- l- l- decrease in interest rate, I mean, it's it's a much easier answer. Uh, some people do it to take cash out. Some people actually want to raise their payment so they can pay it off faster. Uh, if you're moving from, for instance, a 30-year to a 15-year payment. Uh, so there's a bunch of reasons to do a refi. Uh, I would say if you have one of those 25 3% interest loans, now is oh, not the time gold. to do it. <laughs> yeah, um, that's gold. But I believe later this month we are going to have a, a, a mortgage uh, specialist on to talk about some of the particulars there and what he sees going on in the mortgage market. And our producer tells me that that is next week that we'll have our mortgage. Uh, Adam Black will be our oh, guest good. to talk yeah. about that. So, uh, Fletcher, you're, you're on the list of winnings when I win the Mega Millions, so appreciate your call. We're talking about new information for 2023. Hey, who needs a scholarship? We'll let you know how kids pre-K to 12th grade can win some money. That's next. We're glad you found our show, Money Talks. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Nancy Lotridge-Anderson, president of New Perspectives and Ryder Taft, portfolio manager at New Perspectives. Here's a reminder, Tuesdays at 10 a.m., listen live to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. It immediately follows our show. Registration's now open for the 10th Annual College Savings Mississippi Art Contest. The contest runs from now through February 28th, and students from across Mississippi will competing for more than $3,000 in Mississippi Affordable College Savings Scholarships by submitting an original piece of art based on the theme, What Do You Want to Be When You Grow Up? We'll have that link in our show information. So, Ryder, we talked about uh, some savings uh, money in 2023 for saving money for retirement, but we've got some numbers that people who are already retired might be interested in. Uh, yes. So th- this first number is actually if you are uh, earning money, uh, planning on retiring, $160,200 is the Social Security wage base. So that is that is the earnings on which uh, all the dollars below that, you do have that Social Security tax. So a lot of fo- folks might think of that as your payroll tax. That covers Social Security. That's the FICA on your uh, on your pay stub. Uh, Social Security and um, Medicare is on there. Medicare does continue on for a little bit, I believe. Uh, so it's wages that are taxed for Social Security, and so that's also what gets considered for your Social Security benefit. So if you have been earning that 160000 for a long time, you're going to be at the maximum benefit. Uh, of course, it's the first few dollars you earn have a little more punch to it, so that does help folks on the lower uh, lower end of the income scale. The, the tax 
uh, so once you retire, though, and once you're taking those benefits, then some of them may be taxable. Up to 85% of your Social Security benefits are taxable. Uh, the Social Security Administration has a very simple explanation of how that tax works. If you are filing as an individual, then if your income is uh, up to $34,000, you may have to pay income tax on up to 50% of those benefits. Uh, if your income is over $34,000, there's some calculations where up to 85% of your benefits, so up to that maximum. So if joint returns is a little less generous, actually. That that number is at 44000 Above 44000 up to 85% of your benefits may be taxable. Of course, they calculate that income in a weird way. They only include half of your Social Security benefits in those calculations. So they add. They also add back non-taxable interest. So if you are a retiree in a high-income bracket and you've been investing in municipal bonds to avoid the tax on it, you can't avoid uh, the Social Security tax um, because that does get added back in. And that's added to your adjusted gross income, which is basically the bulk of your income, any wages – any pensions, any IRA, IRA withdrawals, annuity income. Uh, there are, and then there's some some of those normal adjustments. It comes before though the standard deduction. So, um, so that's how that that is calculated. So essentially, the higher your income, the more of that benefit is taxed, but it's never all of the benefit. Um, they complain, I'm drawing Social Security. Why do I have to pay tax on it? Didn't I pay tax on the front end? Well, I have to say those are just the rules, and Uncle Sam has bills to pay. And uh, many years ago, we actually had a cap on Medicare benefits that was pretty close to that Social Security. I don't think we have a cap on Medicare any longer. Um, and that's the talk in trying to make Social Security more sustainable is to increase that base of, so that more of that would be taxed. Um, but I just say, you know, be grateful you have that. It is a huge benefit, and a lot of people we work with as they approach retirement, we are very pleased to see that that's representing a large part of that income, and it is guaranteed income, and it is inflation-adjusted, so that's very nice. Uh, and I will say for folks who are like, oh, uh, why am I being taxed on it again? It, it's it's two different taxes. You had federal income tax on all of that before. You did you did pay into the Social Security, and then the what you paid in that was the payroll tax. Again, the FICA. You you don't have uh you don't have payroll taxes on your Social Security. You don't have FICA on your Social Security. Yeah, you have yeah, a a federal is a tax is a tax. Uh, sure, that's what I would say. All right, fair. And a program note, we are working to get our friend Sean Mercer from Social Security on to join us sometime in February. So we look forward to that. Let's wrap things up with a final call. It's Andre in Tupelo. Got about two minutes left, Andre. Give us your question, please. Yeah, I want, uh, I want to know, my wife been at her job like 30, 32 years, and, and they changed companies a couple of years ago. They're going to give them their 401k. But I'm trying to figure out why they have to tax it to 16.5%. And is there any way they, that she can roll it over into another account and keep it from being taxed or whatever? 
yes. So with a 401k, you typically are able to roll that over into an IRA uh, that you have and you control on your own. I would check with the group that actually controls the 401k. So the uh, companies will hire out this task. I don't know that there are any companies that actually, well, they, I know there's one company that does management of their own 401k, but they typically hire that out to a 401k administrator, a 401k plan custodian. Uh, so that's who you want to look at. Um, they may have a, a service number that you can call and ask about rollovers. They may even offer an IRA uh, type investment account for you to use. And that would be a very simple one to use if you are not already working with an advisor. Um, the number you threw out, 16.5%, that's a bit of an odd percentage. Um, a lot of default uh, 401k distribution taxes are set to 20%. So the 16.5 is a little odd. It makes me wonder if there's something else uh, we don't know about there. Well, and this is very common when you have a change in ownership uh, with a company, they will shut down an old 401k and have to start a new one, and that's what it sounds like is going on there. But yes, just as Ryder said, um, talk to somebody about rolling that to an IRA. If you don't need that money right now, you need to keep it in retirement. It is your money. Money Talks is a production of MPB Think Radio, funded in part by generous financial support from listeners. To hear today's show or previous show, you can go to moneytalks.mpbonline.org. Or listen to the podcast, just search for Money Talks. Our show is produced by Liz Gill, and our podcast producer is Jermaine Flood. Thanks to our call screener, Charles Arnold. So for Dr. Nancy Lottridge-Anderson and Ryder Taft, I'm Kevin Farrell, inviting you to join us every Tuesday at 9 for Money Talks, heard only on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. 